first episode of Guarding the Corner, a This Is Believe One podcast. I am James Mastrucci. With me is Brian Fraley. Brian, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing fantastic. We're here to talk some baseball, focus on the Guardians, but before we get into it, just real quick, like, comment, subscribe the podcast. Um, it is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and SoundCloud, along with thisisbelieveone.com. Make sure you tell everyone you know. If you don't, it's stealing. So you got you to gotta, you gotta do something because this is a free podcast. But anyways. Uh, yes, <laughs> you guys, we, we need you to contribute. So get on that right away. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we're here to talk a little baseball. We'll start with uh, the Guardians. Opening day was yesterday. Uh, it was indeed. It did not uh, go that well for the Guardians, uh, losing three to one in Kansas City to the Royals. What were your initial uh, takeaways from this game? Because mine, for me at least, it was the the people who didn't hit were exactly who I thought wouldn't hit. Exactly. Yeah, my my thoughts about this game, like had we got this podcast set up just a couple days sooner and we did do a preview show, Mm -hmm. I think this game probably would have went pretty much identically to how, you know, we had talked about it off air uh, going. So, yeah, this game was kind of a microcosm of everything that I expect this Cleveland Guardians season to be, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. not to be like a buzzkill here on episode one. But, um, yeah, a lot of things happened the way that we expected them to happen considering the strengths and the weaknesses of this team. Yeah. You just, you look at the guys who did get hits in the lineup. You saw the guys who didn't. And it's just like, yep, this is, this is as expected. Uh, I've made the comment before that Shane Bieber is going to get DeGromed a whole bunch this season. Uh, he was, <laughs> he was DeGromed uh, on opening day. Uh, he didn't uh, go particularly would... deep in the game. Uh, no, he did not. Um, I think that was kind of to be expected too, just mm-hmm. with the the brief ramp up into the season with the the CBA situation that we had. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think he went very deep in the game. And yeah, you said it. You know that we got the hits exactly from who we expected to get the hits from. You know, it was mm-hmm. the usual suspects. You know, Straw does a great job leading off for the team. Um, him and Jose and Fran Mill. You know, the only real ones that contributed uh, contributed to the offense beyond rookie Stephen Kwan in the bottom of the lineup. But, yeah, about it was like the seventh inning. You know, I, I texted you a screenshot of the box score, mm-hmm. and I just I circled batters five through nine because at the time everybody was over. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was just I, I think we're going to see a lot of this this season. Yeah, I ended up uh, following your lead with that screenshot and, and tweeting a cropped version of that. Uh, the the combination of uh, Bobby Bradley, Oscar Mercado, Yu Chang, Austin Hedges, and Andres Jimenez went 0 for 11. Yes, uh, and, and it's the, the the hard thing here is that it's not surprising. You know, <laughs> what I mean, uh, it, nobody was shocked by this, um, but I, I think it's it's an indication of what we can expect reasonably for the bottom half of this roster, and in, in terms of offensively. Um, yeah, like you said, you know, the lone bright spot being Stephen Kwan, and, and we'll get into him a little deeper uh, in a minute. But, um, yeah, you know, it, there was very little production from the bottom half of the lineup. And then also, you know, in terms of the defensive errors, you, we had, you know, Bobby Bradley booted a ball right off, you know, in the first inning, mm-hmm. right off the bat. Uh, and then Ahmed Rosario, you know, he had an issue with the fly ball in the fifth. 
that led to Bieber's earned run being scored, which, by the way, absolutely criminal that he got charged with that earned run. Uh, how the fuck is that a, uh, an earned run? Like, yeah. what, what are we talking? What are we doing here? <laughs> it, had it not been in Kansas City, I, I don't think it gets scored that way. Um, but yeah, they gave him a double on that, which is mind blowing. I, I just think, as a golden rule, if the ball hits you in the glove in the outfield, that's an error. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I mean, yeah, the wind was ridiculous. We knew that they were going to have some issues out there with swirling winds and whatnot. But, you know, a, a good outfielder is prepared for that. And this is something that we were concerned about in, in terms of Ahmed Rosario is how is he going to transition, you know, out there into the outfield? And I think this kind of sums things up pretty quickly for us. Yeah, uh, with Rosario, I was uh, concerned the, in the inning before. Uh, it was Andrew Benintendi who hit a fly ball out to left, and it was really windy. And I'm watching Rosario. I'm like, he is having trouble tracking the ball right here. Uh, this isn't this isn't good. And it, it was very shaky. Like he he made the out. Yeah, yeah. but like I'm like this is gonna this, they're gonna have a problem at some point. I didn't think it would be the next the next inning, but yeah, I, I you could tell there was gonna be a problem. Yeah, I, and just speaking from, you know, experience playing baseball, like tracking a ball in the outfield, it's it's probably the most important skill to have out there mm-hmm. um, because it's not just about speed. It's about your first step, you know, and if you don't have a good feel for, for the ball and, and where it's going to be, that first step's not there. And you're right, you know, on that Benintendi out, it was like, oh, man, you know, he did not look confident with his first step. Um and he looks shaky there. And, yeah, if you can't track the ball, especially in windy conditions, you know, which, I mean, we're going to see that. You know, we play right on Lake Erie. So, uh, yeah, it's it's going to be a problem out there for him. And, you know, you, you look at Cleveland's uh, left field, it, it's not particularly tricky, but there is the, you know, the mini monster over in left field. So you, you do have to Correct. account for that. But... Yeah, it, certain players have a lot of trouble with that, and certain mm-hmm. guys, you know, they get that right away. Um, I'm not really sure what to expect from Rosario there. You know, that might be something he's good at, uh, but that remains to be seen. Um, I don't think the two necessarily go hand in hand, but no, if he's not tracking the ball well on game one, you know, then it, it's an indication that it might not be the best position for him. Yeah, and they, they did shift him uh, back into the infield later in the game, um, which honestly, I think that's where he should be. Um, Uh, I do too. But you got to, I guess, explore some options because they got to figure something out with some of these guys. Like they got to give Jimenez some real shots at the infield. They Mm want to try and get an answer on Yu Chang to figure out what he is. I think he is what he is. I think he's probably just going to be like a career 250 hitter because he's not particularly that good in my opinion. I agree. Because he he, he never did anything in the minors where he was just like, oh my God, this dude hit 370 or something. Or this dude's just crushing no, he's always been a he's always been a potential guy. A guy where they're like, okay, you know, I, I see him fitting into a major league roster, but like he's never grown into that role with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're right, in the minor leagues, he doesn't have any stats that jump off the page at you. So it's like, he's never been there from a production standpoint. So I'm kind of out on him. And yeah, I, I'm, I don't think this is an indictment on Tito or, you know, the, the defensive game plan or anything like that, because I think you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. They have to try something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't disagree with the move, putting him out there, but it, it doesn't look like that's going to be a viable option for him going forward. I, I think that they should, um, uh, give him a chance at, at this. Cause it seems like that's what they got to do. Cause they have, they have to get answers on quite a few guys. They have to put together an outfield of sorts. 
you know, because uh, before the the game, it was just basically you had Miles Straw and a whole bunch of question marks because you didn't know that Stephen Kwan was going to play or that he was going to go one for two with two walks and look like he was like a experienced veteran in the box. You know, <laughs> no and, kidding. Yeah, and you didn't know. Uh, <clears throat> uh, Framio Reyes is going to be in the outfield. Josh Naylor's still hurt. Oscar Mercado's a, like a late inning defensive replacement, and I'm fine with him as that. Like, if he gets in a bad yeah. game, that's fine for me. Like, but you know, five six days a week of starting for Mercado, which is that's just like malpractice. You're right. You're right. I mean, depth is a real issue in the outfield. So yeah, I mean, you have a fair point. It's like, do do we have another option? But you know, sticking him out there and and giving him some time to develop and see if maybe he could start seeing things a little better. But yeah, it, it's it's something we knew going into the year that was going to be an issue. You know, mm-hmm. and here here we are talking about it. So. Um, yeah, Tito in, in the post game conference, you know, he kind of said, you know, well, maybe I, I, I didn't put him in the best position to succeed or, or what, what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that just might be a fact that he had a short spring, you know, he didn't have much time to, to come and, and, you know, get ready to play a left field, uh, for a major league team. So, yeah, I, and I, I'll say this left field can be harder to play than center field, by <laughs> the way, like it, the corner outfield spots are really hard because you're dealing with a lot of movement uh when the ball is going to left or right field a mm-hmm. lot of spin yeah they're, they're um, you're right there's a ton of spin so if uh if, if he's having issues you know in the corners i'm sure that's something in spring training he would have spent a majority of his time doing just just learning to see the ball you don't know, come into left field how it comes off the bat as opposed to you know other positions so yeah it's something that i think that Unfortunately, we're probably going to have to learn through experimenting with it rather than, you know, him mm-hmm. having the adequate time that we needed in spring training to get prepared. And, and with what this team's supposed to do this year, what the expectations are, I, I think it's fine to let him just go out there and, and give it a shot. But it, if he's really struggling and it carries over into his performance at the plate like it did last year when they forced him into center, it, you got to pull the right. plug on, on this experiment. You know what I mean? Unless yeah. unless they go out and you know sign like Conforto or trade for another outfielder, there there's yeah. just stick Rosario in left field, let him try and figure it out and, until he can't. You know what I mean? Because yeah, I agree with you there. A, a couple years ago in 2020, the the plan was for Framiel Reyes to get actual outfield reps and not just be a DH all the time because you know he came over from San Diego. They didn't have the DH in the National League when he was there, so he was in the field when he played. Like, he wasn't a particularly good defensive outfielder, but he played. Uh, and you, right. you, you look at, you know, when he was preparing to do that, he did, you know, shed some weight. He did get himself into uh, a shape where he would have been, you know, suited to play in the field. But because of, you know, the, the shutdown uh, because of COVID and then mm-hmm. the, the short spring training ramp, you know, ramp up, that year, he didn't play yeah. in the field. And so I, I think it's a very similar circumstance with this, with Rosario, because it was the shortened spring training that was four weeks instead of six. And there was not, it was just like, a, you know, all right, lockout's over. Everyone go to Arizona. It wasn't like, right. there wasn't really anything yeah, to agree. do. It's, it's a really interesting point. And, and you're right. You know, they kind of did have similar circumstances, like getting ready to play that position. Um, and we do find ourselves in that spot again here with uh, Ahmed Rosario. Um, he did get a hit, you know. He he also left four people on base, but he did get a hit. Um, but yeah, you're right. If if this um, affects his 
approach at the plate if uh, his lack of confidence or whatever? Because he did look a little shooken up last night. Um, yeah, and did. if you don't have that confidence, you're you're not going to have any success at the plate. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. If it does, like, really negatively impact him at the plate, uh, it'll be interesting to see how long they let this experiment play out. Yeah, because uh, I remember uh, a year ago, um, this is a, a not very large sample size here, but uh, I, I wrote something on This Is Believeland comparing his performance at the plate in center field compared to at shortstop. Uh, I mean, this is only 29 games and 18 games when, when I wrote this last June, but uh, the point remains here is that, you know, last year in 29 games at center field, he was playing some shortstop, um, but he was slashing 221, 288, 358. He had a 264 average on balls in play, three doubles, two triples, two homers, and a 74 WRC plus, which is terrible. But in mm. the following mm. 18 games after Jimenez was optioned down to AAA, those numbers all skyrocketed. 302, 371, 413 slash line, 367 batting average on balls in play, two doubles, a triple, a homer, five RBI, and a 121 WRC+. plus, Almost 50 points higher. Whole different player. When you look, when you look at it from that perspective, he's a whole different player when, when he's you know confident in the field. And um, yeah, that's really interesting. Those numbers are shockingly... Uh, the disparity is a lot larger than I would have imagined. I'll put it that way. It's it's incredibly larger, and I, I don't have the the uh, the full the, you know the rest of the season numbers offhand, but I, I'm sure I can find them. But you know, but looking at his his performance, it's just like, what are we doing? Like, yeah. just just play him at, at shortstop. It, but that's that's if it, it continues to if he goes down a similar path. Which I do think it's right. possible he goes down a similar path. Because, you know, it's... He's much more suited to be a shortstop. At least that's my belief. I agree. Yeah, I agree. And, and I mean, I'm not saying he's a gold glove shortstop or anything like that. But he's definitely a more... He looks way more natural in that position. Um, and I think that ideally he'd love to play there. Um, but yeah, you're right. You know, the, the outfield situation is what it is. You know, we need guys out there. Um, so yeah, it's, a it's an interesting predicament they find themselves in, but you mentioned earlier that like, you know, what are their expectations going into this year? Really? You know? And I think that that actually benefits the guardians in this case, um, because they kind of know what this year is going to be. You know, we're not trying to be world beaters and, and win a world series this year. So if ever there was a year where like, you know, you want to give him a chance, this is the right year to do it. It, it is. You, you, they need to just figure some stuff out here. I'm going to, I'm going to get the, uh, the full shortstop only numbers here. Uh, do, 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 May 13th to October 3rd is when he only played shortstop. Thank you, Fangraphs, for having this ability, because uh, shout out, Fangraphs. <laughs> yeah, they're, aren't they the best, though? They're awesome. Yeah, so uh, his numbers were a little bit down over the rest of that, but it, they're not that much different playing just shortstop. 295, 329, 420, slash uh, 104 WRC+. plus. So above average, mm. and still 40 above points average, higher. Yes. 40 points higher than when he's playing in the outfield last year. Yeah, I was just going to say real quick, you know, I mentioned that he left four runners stranded too. And, and just as a, you know, as a former baseball player myself, like when you lack confidence, those are the situations that you're going to struggle in when, you know, when you have guys on base and you really need to hit. Mm -hmm. um, so, so yeah, I think that 
it, this was a really a microcosm of that experience that he had yesterday. Just like it, he didn't feel comfortable, you know, and, and you could see that at the plate. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, there's going to come a time where they're going to get Josh Naylor back. And I think there's going to be some shifting going on in regards to how this lineup's put together. Because uh, I, I don't know that you, they can commit to a Bobby Bradley period, but first baseman Bobby Bradley. I, I think it's possible that you know, Naylor ends up at first, and if they still want to continue going with Bobby Bradley, see if Framiel Reyes can play in the field. You know what I mean? But Right. I, I, Bobby Bradley having issues in the field is not good because he's not particularly doing anything at the plate. <laughs> you're right. So, he, he's he's a butcher in the field and the plate. Yeah, and that's that's part of what I really don't like about that situation is like, you, you need to be one or the other. If you're going to struggle with one, you know, you need to pick it up on the, the other end of things. And I just haven't seen that from Bobby Bradley yet. Like, he, he is what he is. And he's not going to be a guy that hits for average. He's going to hit for power, which is okay. But it's not even, like, good power when he does hit for power. Like, he crushes right. AAA pitching, but he is okay against major league pitching. I mean, he had that little run like uh kind of early on last year where he looked like he was going to be a viable option, but then he fell off he a damn cliff. Yeah. yeah, he fell off a damn cliff. Everyone figured him out and he couldn't adjust. Yeah. And, you know, he had in 90 in 74 games he struck out 99 times. Wow. Yeah. He, I he, I like Naylor. I'm not saying Naylor's like going to be MVP caliber or anything like that, but I I see a lot in Josh Naylor if he can get you know, come out on the other side of that gruesome injury. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's a really nice piece for us. Um, and I, I think that he could definitely, you know, I, I think he could play the outfield better than Rosario for sure. Um, so I, I'd like to see him get healthy and him be worked in that, you know, in that position. But you're right. If Bobby Bradley's going to be booting balls at first base, you know, you you might need him at first base. And, and, he, and Naylor so, uh, does have experience a, at first. So it's it's something that they can... It's not a foreign it's a, position to him. Right. The problem lies for Bobby Bradley. You know, when, when he comes back, where does that leave him? You know, as the odd man out. I, um, but in, in terms of like, you know, you mentioned his power, but Josh Naylor is, he's an, like, he's an AL central type of guy. He, he, he plays the game the way that a small market team needs to, to play the game. Better right. than Bobby Bradley, in my opinion. He just seems like a more natural fit for for this Guardians team than Bradley. You're right, he does because you you look at what he what he does. I mean he he hits for about fifty points higher than Bradley does. Okay, right. Which which yep. is it's that's good. But you know you compare it to you know his he isn't hit for a lot of power. He he has sixteen career home runs in in two hundred and three games. So it's it's not right. a whole bunch, but he does have some doubles. But the the value here is, is for me at least, is he he has a batting average of two fifty and an on base percentage over three hundred. So yeah. I, I'm looking at those two things right there to be like this is more valuable than a guy that just hits a, a home run per you know whatever that it, ratio not was. very often yeah, <laughs> yeah not enough not, <laughs> not enough wholeheartedly. and and i think that like the those things that you mentioned that nailer can do like we need that desperately in the bottom half of that lineup 
Um, so yeah, you know, Naylor's not going to be a guy that, that can, you know, play the five spot like, you know, Bobby Bradley, but, um, he, he still can get on base and we need those guys at the bottom of the lineup to get on base because right now they are not doing much of anything. No, they're not. And when they have the opportunity to do something and they're, they're not driving in runs, they're only scoring a run in the game. And it's just, you're setting your team up and putting them in a really bad spot because, you know, Tristan McKenzie came in the game later last night, and he pitched three innings. He looked like Tristan McKenzie for the most part, but uh, unfortunately, uh, Bobby Witt Jr. got to him and delivered the game-winning uh, yeah. hit. Uh, give me some, I thought I, McKenzie looked really good up until that point. He he was doing all right. My concern with McKenzie always, always, always is command and walks. Oh yeah, his command is an issue. But when he's on, he's you know he's got the stuff for sure. Mm-hmm. But you're right, you know consistency is something that we you know he's definitely got an issue with that. Um, so his his total numbers, let's see, he gave up two hits, two earned runs, and two walks. So yeah, I, I mean the numbers aren't aren't great, but um, yeah, it, it's McKenzie, very McKenzie esque that it, performance. It is, and you know, you look at his his uh, his strikes thrown percentage. It's below fifty percent. He threw twenty four balls and twenty three strikes. Yeah, and that's not good. That, that's that not that's good. a problem. Conversely, right. Shane Bieber threw forty eight strikes and seventy two pitches. He threw wow. more. He threw the same amount of balls with twenty five more pitches. Yeah, that's insane. It's crazy. It really, it really is crazy. Um, do we want to talk a little bit about Bobby Witt Jr.'s game? Because, I mean, he, he looked like the real deal uh, yesterday. Yeah, let's talk about Bobby Witt Jr., okay? Because number one prospect in all of baseball, it's the, the home opener for the Royals. This, what happened was Witt delivering a game-winning hit for the Royals. That was, like, in the cosmos. That was bound to happen, okay? It was destiny. It, it felt like <laughs> it. It did feel like destiny. And, and you know, he, he drove in... Uh, Michael A. Taylor in the eighth, and uh, that secured the victory for the Royals. Then, uh, you know, would, would score later in the inning uh, off an Andrew Benintendi single. But uh, you said you looked up some uh, some advanced numbers on Witt. Uh, yeah, I got some really interesting uh, numbers from the game. Um, he had the highest exit velocity of any player in the game yesterday with a ball that came off at 110.4 miles per hour. Um, so yeah, that was the the hardest hit ball in the game. Um, his sprint speed was 30.8 feet per second. Um, that anything over 30 feet per second is absolutely elite speed in MLB. Mm-hmm. Um, so so there's you know power, speed, bang bang. Um, his throw from third to first uh, was 88.6 miles per hour, and he got rid of it in just 0.7 seconds. Uh, that was to get that Andres Jimenez ground out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for his first career hit, uh, the ball was 3.86 feet high, well above the strike zone. Um, so he showed that he could go out of the zone and, and hit one too. Um, so just a lot of numbers there that like, as the number one overall prospect, those are the things that, that brought the hype for this guy. Mm-hmm. And, and he, sh- he showed each one of them throughout the game. And, and I, I just thought those numbers were really interesting because it was like, those are the numbers you want to see when you hear about a guy being the number one overall prospect. Like it's all elite. Everything that he did yesterday was elite. Mm-hmm. And you know, his first MLB hit being the game winning hit for the Royals. That's, that's, you know, 
even though he doesn't play for Cleveland, that's a very special moment for a player, you know? You're oh, kinda, huge. You, you, and, you just kind of sit there and, like, you know, kind of happy for him. Yeah, and you know that, like, he, the situation wasn't too big for him. You know, mm-hmm. we found that out in game one for him. Mm-hmm. And, and let's be honest, in baseball, like, you're only successful three out of ten times if you're Hall of Fame caliber player. Yeah. Um. So, like, there was a very good chance that, you know, he might start 0 for 9, you know, and really struggle at the plate. And it wouldn't have been an indictment on him. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he came up that big in his first moment, you know, with the team, that just shows that, like, okay, he proved it. He can handle the moment. Like, and you need that. And those are the kind of things that, like, like the advanced metrics are great, but you know there, there's things that don't show up on paper that you need a guy to do to be elite, mm-hmm. and, and that's one of them. It's it's just having the the confidence to go up there and deliver in the biggest moment, and the fact that he did that in front of the home crowd on opening day, um, great way for Emma, great way for MLB to come back. You know, like mm-hmm. to have their number one guy come out and and perform. Uh, I think that was huge for baseball. Period, not just for the Royals. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the Royals are going to be a, a better team than I think a lot of people think they are. I mean, this they're not going to be like World Series caliber or maybe not even in the playoffs. I, I don't think they make the playoffs. At least I didn't pick them to make the playoffs. But I think they're, they're playing, you know, classic Royals baseball. It's, it's contact. It's small ball. It's, ba- uh, you know, good base running and defense. You know, they, Correct. Don't, they don't hit for a lot of power. It's a lot of doubles, triples, steal bases, go first to third. I mean, sack bunts. I mean, shit. When's the last time you saw someone actually execute a sack button at work? I mean, Nicky Lopez did that oh, yesterday. Yeah, I mean, they just do. Like, they play old school baseball. Like, they, they do everything the right way. And you have to. When you're <clears throat> a market like Kansas City, that's how you have to play. And a lot of the things that you just mentioned that they do well um, are, are the things that the bottom half of that Cleveland lineup is really struggling with, you know, <clears throat> defensively, too. Um, and, and that's part of the problem. So, like, when we, we see a guy like Quan uh, come up and have the success that he had during the game, um, that's great because the things that he does well are all the things you just mentioned. The, mm-hmm. You know, the base running, the hit for contact, the, you know, ha- have the ability to steal. Um, you know, I think that guy's going to have a green light um, pretty much. Mm-hmm. He seems like he, he runs the base as well as well. And, you know, he plays a good good outfield position so he seems like a five tool guy um so i'm really excited about him too obviously he didn't get quite the hype um that wit did or have you know quite as impressive as a performance but his impressive was very or performance was very impressive nonetheless he looked like he was not shaken at all he looked like he was completely comfortable he looked like he was he's done this a thousand times before and you know, yep. and, and as far as you know, the the hype train goes. I mean, there are some you know people who cover the team that were you know rooting for Stephen Kwan and stuff like that. But you know, you, you look at where they're where they're ranked for their respective clubs uh, in terms of prospects. Uh, Whit was number one, uh, and Kwan I think was fourteenth to MLB Pipeline uh, on their list. Yeah. So I mean, yep. th- it's a big difference. You know, he's not even number big one in difference. his own team. He's like fourteenth, I think, uh, yeah. at least in the teens. But, you know, you, you look at that, and you, you see Quan play yesterday, and I'm like, okay, he was good. He was he was very impressive. I want to see, you know, I want to see more, obviously. But, you know, one yep. for two, two walks. He at least provided some on base for that bottom third of the lineup that was, uh, even just bottom half of the lineup. He he got on base yeah. three times. Not only that, but he, he stretched out uh, Kansas City's pitching in a way that, the rest of the team was not doing, you know, he had mm-hmm. uh, a couple of really long at bats where, you know, he battled and 
the that stuff too, James. That like it, it's stuff that won't necessarily show up like on the stat sheet, but like those moments and and having the ability to to deliver. Um, he showed it too, and in this in this similar way to how Bobby Witt did. Um, so yeah, I, I was really impressed with a lot of what I saw from him, um, and I'm really excited about him going forward. I am too, and you know, you look at uh, how he performed in the minor leagues. Uh, you know, he projects to be a at least his performance wise is over, you know, over 300 hitter, you know, his career, mm -hmm. his career, uh, slash line in the minors is 301, 380, 438. So very impressive. Uh, he walked a hundred times. He only struck out 87 and he Gosh, stole 20 bags. Today's game. Yeah. And today's game too. It's so rare <laughs> to be a guy that doesn't strike out in today's game. It's, it's pretty impressive. Um, yeah, he sees the ball very, very well. Um, he does not strike out. Um, you know, he's not going to hit a bunch of home runs. Uh, he's not a power guy at all, but, you know, he, he offers so much more uh, in the bottom half of that lineup. And then you just mentioned, you know, his slash line in the minors, it does jump off the page at you mm -hmm. in a way that Chang, in a way that like you Changs don't, for mm -hmm. example. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that, gosh, I mean, it, one game into this guy's young career with the Guardians, I feel like we've seen more out of him than we've seen out of Yu Chang. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's exciting, too, because, you know, one of the, the issues that, you know, that Cleveland's been trying to figure out, I don't know, for 15 years is the outfield, okay? There hasn't yep. been a, a comfortable outfield trio since, like, 07, when they almost went to the World Series. And still I that, agree with that. And, and that group wasn't even particularly all that special outside of Grady Sizemore either. Yeah, I agree with that, too. So, you know, I, I like Straw, I like Quan. neither guy are power guys, but I like that they're, you know, batting average on base types that have, you know, some speed to their game. Yeah, it's definitely an upgrade um, from what we're used to in the outfield position for the past, like you said, 15 years. Um, so, yeah, I think we have two really nice pieces in the outfield there with him and Straw, but, uh, you know, we need some more depth, you know, because the, the guys that are filling in, um, the odd men out right now, the Rosarios, uh, you know, they're not looking too comfortable. Um, so, yeah, we need those guys to play really well defensively. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I know it's only one game. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. But, like, do you see uh, the possibility of if Quan keeps, you know, playing well, if, you know, bumping them up to, like, say, the two hole and having Rosario hit, like, five or six? Yeah, I actually floated this idea. I don't remember who I was talking to, but it was like, man, like with what I've seen from Quan, like he he might be a guy that you could put at the top of the lineup. Like, could you imagine him and Straw back to back on the base paths? And That'd then, awesome. you know, yeah. And, and with Jose Ramirez coming to clean, you know, that third right behind those two. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, that that's a really attractive, you know, possibility for the team. But you also mentioned, you know, we were talking off air that, you know, you also need guys in the bottom half of the lineup that are going to get on base too, because mm -hmm. you know you're you're cycling back through the lineup. You know, you, when Straw and Rosario come back, or Straw in the top half of the lineup come up to bat, like they need people on base too. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's interesting. I, I I wonder how long they will wait before they experiment with them in that two spot, because yeah, I, like you said, we don't want to get out of ourselves. You know. It's one game he he might struggle. You know, a lot of people do. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but yeah, I really like what I've seen so far. I think the two spots uh, a potential landing spot for him in the future, but I, I think for the time being, he's probably going to stay where he's at. 
Yeah, I, I think I think he's good for for now. Just let him you know get a little bit more comfortable, have some more experience. But I, I definitely see you know him batting second in his future if he if he keeps up. I mean, it's just having a guy that just wears out pitching at the top of the order. Have him just see as many plate appearances as possible to you know rank that you know put up that pitch count. So when it's let's say the first two guys get out and you got a you know a pitcher that's on pitch twenty going to Jose Ramirez in the first inning. You know what I mean? It, it's huge. That's that's huge. You know what I mean? Uh, especially with guys like you know like Grakey that we faced yesterday. Like you you want to like get them deep into their you know pitch counts. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, like the we we didn't see a lot of that. We didn't see a lot of long at bats yesterday. But you know we did from Quan and uh, you know as a Guardian fan like we know how valuable that is. Because, you know, we saw it from guys like Carlos Santana. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how many times did we see him just take pitchers deep in account? And, and even if he gets out, like, every one of his outs was productive, you know. Mm-hmm. And and that's a thing that, you know, you lose some of that value in Quan when you have guys like Hedges and Jimenez batting behind him. Because, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if he, he gets on base a ton, but those guys aren't going to – they're not going to move him around much. Um, so, yeah, that's the only other – issue i really see right now is like he's probably gonna get on base a ton but are those guys gonna be able to draw you know drive him home and, and then the other issue too is you know by the time they get him at that seven spot are we only 20 pitches deep in the third inning you know mm-hmm. because we're we were not getting you know long innings by by grinky at all no no they weren't and uh for reference yesterday carl santana was over two with a walk <laughs> yep, and and he also had a ten pitch at bat. I mean, that, that's just the the prototypical Carlos Santana at bat. I mean, how, how many it really is? Uh, how many games have we seen Carlos Santana go like over two or something, but have like a walk and like a sack fly? Like he didn't have one yesterday, a sack fly or an RBI yesterday, but like all the times, so many times. Like, yep. do you remember leadoff hitter Carlos Santana when they experimented with that for a minute? <laughs> I do because <laughs> he got on base. It's it, it it made a lot of sense at the time, really. It was an interesting experiment, but yeah, I mean, you you need guys to get on base. I think Miles Straw is that kind of player. Fortunately, like that's one position I'm kind of comfortable with right now is the leadoff spot. I, I think that we have a really good player uh, batting leadoff for us. I do too, and you know, I know a lot of people aren't like particularly big fans of of Straw because he doesn't have power in his game. Uh, right. He has five career home runs in five years. <laughs> You know what I mean? But you know when he's when he's going good, he hits he hits quite a bit of doubles. He had twenty nine doubles last year between Houston and Cleveland. He he had forty eight RBI, four a career high four home runs, and mm-hmm. a triple. I mean, <laughs> you know, yeah. He does he not seem like a Royals player? He does. <laughs> he really t- does. He, he seems like he fits their prototype a little bit more than ours. It's kind of funny, but he's a five tool player though. Like he, well, not five because he doesn't do power. But other than that, yeah, the the other four tools though, he's great. You know, so mm-hmm. he's a guy that just that's really his only glaring weakness that I see. And I think he plays a decent center field. So, um, yeah, I, I like Straw, but um, a lot of guys, you know. They want to see home runs, and I just don't think you need it from your leadoff guy. So, I mean, they're nice, sure, but you don't you don't, you don't need it. Uh, there was a jump right. in his uh, walk rate when he came from Houston to Cleveland. He had 38 walks in 98 games for the Astros last year, 29 and 60 games in Cleveland. Very so, interesting. You know, maybe different approach, maybe different spot. Yeah. I imagine different spot in the order. Um, 
he was hitting leadoff for us. I do yeah. not believe he was hitting uh, leadoff for the Astros. Uh, I think he's probably hitting towards the bottom of the order there. But you, you look. He did at, have a stolen base yesterday too. Straw. I, I love the <laughs> fact that I have Miles Straw on my fantasy team. By the way, because that dude, uh-huh. I, I only have him for stolen bases because there's it's so rare. It's so rare. Yeah. It, him and Alberto Mondesi. Okay, those are the mm-hmm. only reason they're on my team is because they steal bases and they can do it, you know, quite well. You know, he had thirty. Uh, last but year. that that shows his value, though. You know, mm-hmm. just like that's valuable in fantasy. Like it, you need players like that on your team. Yeah, even even in real life, it is it is important. Yeah. Uh, any uh, final thoughts on this game before we jump over to a couple other games that we watched yesterday? No, just that I think that this game was a very Cleveland Guardians game. <laughs> it was as Guardians of a game as a Guardians game could be, if that makes sense. Yes, it does make sense. So, so uh, yeah, just, uh, you know, disappointing. It was opening day, though. It was great. It was, uh, we saw some some good things, you know. We know Bieber's a beast, and we got a good game out of Quan. So, there's some things to be hopeful for going forward. But, yeah, that's about all I have on that one, though. All right, so let's uh, let's jump to what was the first game of the MLB season yesterday because Red Sox-Yankees got postponed and they're playing currently. Uh, Brewers at Cubs. Yes, Brewers at Cubs. So uh, I, I like to gamble a little, throw a little money around once time time again. And uh, yeah, first game of the year, so I, I had to put money on this game. So I took the Cubs plus one and a half at home. Uh, they won this game five to four. So yeah, uh, if you want to set the table for us on that game, it was a really good opening game. Uh, it was very entertaining. You know, uh, there it's one of those places that you you look at like if is there a better place for the Major League Baseball season to start than Wrig- Wrigley Field? No, like like Wrigley Field, Great American Ballpark, like those two places are probably two of the better places to kick off the the Major League Baseball season. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you want, they're as like Americana baseball as you get. So that's a perfect way to describe it. Americana baseball. Them like the, <laughs> the, the Cardinals too. That and gets another yep. team that fits in there. But you know, I, I was watching this game and I'm like, okay, it's, it's, it's kind of, man, it's kind of whatever it's, you know, one, one, then in the fifth, Nico Horner comes up and hits the unexpected two run home run to give the, the Cubs the lead uh, late in the game. Because, uh, you know, Nico Horner is not uh, particularly a power hitter. Uh, yeah, he's that was his first home run in it. since when? Was it 2019? Was yes. Ridiculous. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, it was funny because uh, everybody's just going off like Nico bomb. Like, uh, oh, we're going to see a ton of these this year. Um, yeah, it's funny. It was great to see him get on the board. But, yeah, up until that moment, uh, not too much from the Cubs offense. Yeah, I and mean, that's kind of... To be expected for the Cubs, at least this this version of the Cubs, because you know they have you know Wilson Contreras, uh, high high expectations for Seiya Suzuki, uh, you know the the rookie who came over from Japan. They're hoping for Patrick yep. Wisdom to carry over some of the hot streaks he had last year, and a resurgent Jason Hayward would go a long way for the Cubs too. And he went two for four yesterday with a run scored, so that's pretty that's pretty good. Uh, he looked like the Jason Hayward of old. I I thought he had a really really nice game yesterday. Yeah, and another guy had a nice game was uh, Ian Happ. Yeah, Happ uh, coming through it, late. It was happening. It was happening for Ian this game. He <laughs> he drove in. <laughs> he drove in two runs, uh, three hits. So yeah, three for four with two two RBIs. Uh, he looked really good. Um, and they need more from him. You know, mm-hmm. they need him to be that kind of player for them this year. So that was nice to see. You know, for Cubs fans too to see him have a game like he had. 
Yeah, it, I mean that's that's encouraging for them. You know, they're they're in a transition year, much like the Guardians are. They're in a transition year after essentially yep. tearing it down outside of Wilson Contreras and some guys that were kind of surprises in Wisdom and Frank Schwindel last year. Uh, but you know, the thing that popped to me in this game was Kyle Hendricks was pitching more like Corbin Burns, and Corbin Burns yes. was pitching more like Kyle Hendricks. Like, what was going on with this? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that that they were playing like each other. It, it was so funny when you you messaged me that you were so on point. What what were the final strikeout numbers for each of them? Um, uh, did it end up being as unbalanced as it was during like the beginning of the game? Uh, Hendricks had seven. Burns had four. Shocking. Hendricks yeah, had not... <laughs> Hendricks uh, pitched one third of an inning more than Burns. Five point one for Hendricks. Burns had just five. Gosh, they they went Freaky Friday on us on a Thursday and just totally swapped. Mm-hmm. And you know, you you look at uh, pitches thrown, same amount, eighty three. My goodness, uh, yeah, good performances from you know overall from both of them though. I thought, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean um, uh, Burns, Burns would have gotten uh, he was almost in position to win. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, they they were up one nothing early until he gave up those three runs in the fifth. Before exiting the game, uh, he did not end up uh, getting tagged with the loss thanks to uh, some late inning rallies by the Brewers, but that was not enough. Uh, he... Yeah, so no, no decision for two of the aces. You know, uh, same for uh, Bieber. Yeah, so Be- both of these games, both of these games, the the losing pitcher was not the starter. So. Yeah, pretty interesting, honestly. And looking at you know the the bullpens. Um, Cubs used a lot of arms yesterday. <laughs> they did. They really did. I, I'm, I've got the box score in front of me. I'm looking at all these pitchers. It's like, holy. Sh-. I mean. They used one, two, three, four, five, six by my count. Yeah, six total pitchers, five bullpen arms. Uh, Daniel Norris, Chris Martin, Rowan Wick, Michael Gibbons, David Robertson. All pitched for the Cubs. And for the Brewers, it was... Uh, Burns, at Burns, Ashby, and Cousins. Yeah, Aaron Ashby. And uh, Jake Cousins were the other guys. I was not positive on their names. Uh, I did not want to call them the wrong names. So, yeah, uh, kind of interesting when you look at it from that perspective. Uh, the amount of innings, eight versus nine, obviously. But it, it's pretty it's pretty uh, interesting because you would, you would think the Brewers would be the team using the, the parade of relievers. But it was uh, the Cubs. Yeah, it, it, they very much swapped identities for the game. You know, it wasn't just the starting pitchers. It was... Yeah, unlike the the Guardians game where, you know, everything was kind of by the book for us, these two teams kind of played, like, uncharacteristically like the other. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it made for an exciting game. It really did. It was a very exciting game. It was a very entertaining game. I watched uh, about two hours of it before the Guardians game started, and I kept track of it on my phone while the, you know, just kind of, like, looking at, uh, looking at the, uh, looking at the box score, you know, the game cast or whatever, you know, so... Something that I just kept an eye on. It's like, I'm I'm super excited for baseball to start, and you know I'm just getting all the baseball it's in, amazing. all the baseball in that I can right now. Like right right now we're podcasting. I have the the Red Sox Yankees game on my TV on mute, and I keep glancing <laughs> over. <laughs> I've got the ma- I'm not gonna lie, I got the Masters on. I'm Tiger watching today. Ooh, Tiger um, watching. It's... Yes, sucker for the Masters. But yeah, I've got all of the baseball scores up on my phone right now as we speak too. Yeah. So, uh, anything else you wanted to add for this game before we go to the uh, the night game that we watched? 
Uh, no, shocking that the only home run came from Nico Horner. I just thought that <laughs> it's funny that the only home run of the game came from like the least likely player. So that was kind of uh, funny to me. Um, Yelich was okay. You know, he, he drove in a run, but you know, didn't get any hits. But they they need to see a lot more from him this season. So um, yeah, that that's. Just my last thought is if, if Milwaukee's going to do anything this year, they need a lot more from them. They do need a lot more from Yelich. I would say the only other player possible to be in the running for the least likely to hit a home run would be Nick Madrigal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think that that's got to be the only other one. And let's see what he did. He went 0 for 3. Yeah, he went 0 yeah. for 3. He's not a power guy. He does not have the power tool. No. But Not at all. Let's let's talk about the night game we, uh, we both watched at the same time. Mets-Nats. What this a was game another, uh, that was. Good opening day game. Yeah, start us off there, set the table for us. Uh, well, due to the injury to Jacob deGrom, the Mets had to uh, pivot with their uh, opening day starter. They have Max Scherzer going tonight, but it was Tyler McGill who got the call for the Mets. He went five Very innings. Very interesting. Uh, three hits, struck out six. Very strong start. Yeah. Very strong start by him, and he was a very unlikely candidate. Uh this uh this stat I have here was that uh, he was the most inexpe- inexperienced pitcher to ever take the mound to open the season for the New York Mets. So that's insane. That, that speaks a lot of, you know, they they obviously believe a lot in this guy because they put him out there on opening day and he fit the bill. Man, he he looked as op- like he looked like an opening day ace. He really did. He looked good. I mean. Uh, yeah, I think he's definitely solidified a spot in their rotation. I mean, he, he, they saw some flashes from him last year, but I mean, it wasn't obviously enough. But having him take them out on opening day in DC to take on the Nats and that even, helped. <laughs> that helped a little bit. You know what I mean? The, the Nats yeah. don't have a particularly strong lineup outside of Juan Soto and uh, Nelson Cruz, and uh, Caber Ruiz had himself a nice little uh, game. He went two for four, the uh, the catcher they acquired from the Dodgers in the Max Scherzer trade. But uh, All uh, about catchers hitting. I love when catchers hit. Isn't it great when a catcher actually is, is a contributor offensively? Uh, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Um, you just get so much value there. You know, mm-hmm. if you've got a catcher that can hit, like, it's just you, you can't really put a, put a price on how much value that adds to your roster. Mm-hmm. What was the probably – most surprising uh, performance for you in this game. Let me ask you that. In this game? In Let's this see. in this game. Outside of McGill. Oh, man. I would have to say... Maybe maybe Cano. I was going to go with Robinson Cano. Him actually yeah. not being a corpse on the field and going two for three. That's, exact, that's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. I thought that... For, for a guy who's getting a little long in the tooth, I thought he had a really good opening day game. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that that's the one that, that sticks out. Um, and, and I really like the center fielder that they added to the team. You know, Canna, I think he looks really good. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, Cano was the most surprising, I would say, out of all of them. Yeah, because he went two for three. He had two runs scored. He walked once. Like, not that he's going to be any version of Yankees Cano. But 
like him just not being completely useless would go a long way for the Mets this year. And a really long way because that's not where they were expecting a lot of their production to come from. No, I mean you, you look at this entire lineup. Pretty much everybody hit except for uh, James McCann, who's got the nickname James McCant uh, by some Mets fans. <laughs> okay, which honestly elite nickname. Uh, yeah, it's a very good nickname. Uh, but everybody pretty much hit. I mean, you know, Starling Marte went one for five. J.D. Davis went one for four. Uh, I believe he did. Let's see. Uh, he had a walk. Yeah, and... he won four a walk. Uh, Lindor was one for five, so he still needs to get some work in there. He had the uh, ugh, 0 for three. Not good for the uh, with strikeouts there. Uh, uh yeah yeah we we need to see a lot less of that from him <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh two for four for Pete Alonso that's that's really good to see uh yeah good game for him uh, Eduardo Escobar one for four in his Mets debut Robinson Cano who I said two for three Mark Canna two for three he he had a pretty good Mets debut as well two for three uh, uh run driven in uh, run scored and a yep. walk yeah he he's who I had behind Cano for most surprising player I think. For a, a Mets debut, I think mm-hmm. that he had a really, really nice game. Yeah, and uh, Jeff McNeil went two for four. That guy having a bounce back year. The real deal, huge. Jeff McNeil. I love Jeff McNeil. He's just like I do too. He's, he's such a good too. player. He's a lovable guy. He's such a good yeah, player. He really is. This is a bounce back year for him. I, I think that you and I both have kind of been high on a couple of guys on the Mets roster being bounce back years. Uh, him and Lindor both. I think both of them bounce back in a nice way. Yeah, I, I think they're going to get a nice uh, combination of uh, of McNeil bouncing back and uh, Dom Smith bouncing back because he didn't have a great season last year either, you know. But the DH is going to do wonders for this team because they have a whole bunch of guys that they don't quite fit together when there was only eight spots in the order that they could put in. Yeah. So it's always kind of like mismatched and kind of like this lineup looks weird, but the DH yeah. helps them. A lot. Uh, you know, I, I would imagine they're, they're probably going to put uh, McNeil at second at some time. Maybe have Cano DH or have uh, Dom Smith DH or, or Pete Alonso. Would you say that they're like one of the National League teams that's impacted the most from you know, having the DH now? Oh, I would. Absolutely. Just yeah. because, I mean, uh, I would too. Dom Smith didn't even start this game. He came off the bench as a pinch runner. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's right. He came in for to run for Pete Alonso, right? Yeah. And so you look okay. at, you have J.D. Davis, you have Pete Alonso, Dom Smith, Jeff McNeil, who you could, even Cano, you could all say like, hey, you're going to be the DH today. They could yep. they could rotate the DH spot to preserve guys' legs to prevent fatigue. And I think that's going to make a big difference for the National League teams because of the shortened spring training. Especially with a coach like Buck Showalter too. Like he's going to be able to use that to his advantage. Like you you. I, I don't know. I see him him using that as an edge. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really do. I think that that's going to be something that they probably will do. I like that idea of rotating DHs so that, you know, you don't have to put a guy out there every game in the field and have the wear and tear on the body. And, you know, let's be honest, a lot of these guys that, you know, that they want in that DH spot, you know, they're not thin people, you know. like <laughs> yeah. they, These are stockier guys that, like, could really benefit from having a couple days rest every once in a while. Um, so, yeah, I think that the Mets by far benefit the most uh, from this immediately. And then I, I wanted to mention one more thing about McGill's performance, too. I thought this was uh, really impressive. Um, it says here that the for uh, a Mets starter to go at least five scoreless innings while walking none and fanning at least six batters 
only happened on three occasions last year. And guess who did it all three times? Jacob DeGrom. Jacob DeGrom. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I mean, he went out there and did some things for the Mets that, you know, they hadn't seen done since DeGrom. So, yeah, he overperformed a ton. Um, so he was a big shock. And, and yeah, like I said, the big game from Cano and uh, Canna, I think, stood out as well. Yeah. Uh, while McGill overperformed, I would say Patrick Corbin continues to underperform for the Nats. Um, uh, yes. I, I remember when he initially signed with the Nats, there was rumors of him going to go sign with the, the Yankees, but he ended up signing with the mm-hmm. Nationals. Uh, I know that I've seen a lot of Yankees fans on Twitter being currently happy that they dodged this bullet with the contract that he got from Washington. Uh, they really seem like they dodged a bullet with this one. So, I mean, because he got a he got a big deal from from the Nationals. Yeah, and, and, and you know, he, he he was a productive picture, but you could see the possibility for it to unravel in the way that it has. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. It's felt like this has kind of been the vibe from the start. You know, he signed a six-year, $140 million contract with the Nationals. There's $23 million this year, $24 million next, $35 million in 2024 at his age 34 season. Good Lord. I mean, those are numbers that they were throwing at Aaron Judge. <laughs> they, they were. Uh, and we'll talk about Judge uh, in just a second. But, you know, he was on the 2019 Nationals team that did win the World Series, so... Fair. That's fair. So yeah, I mean, that that does help, and that is something to be like, hey, this this worked out early, but yeah, if you prove that you could win a World Series with the team, there's really nothing left to prove there. So yeah, yeah I agree. He had a three point two five ERA that year and ten point six K per nine and a WHIP of one point one eight three, but since then four six six five eight two in the last two seasons. I'm not going to count the one game. Uh, from yesterday, yeah, uh, but you know, one five six nine whip, one four six eight whip, eight point two Ks per nine, seven point five Ks per nine. These are these are numbers that you saw from Corbin before he had his final season with the Diamondbacks, which landed him the giant deal in Washington. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really good point. Yeah, that what was his note lines for the game he had, gave up five hits two earned runs two walks and only four strikeouts yeah i mean if he could get back to what those numbers were that you mentioned before he kind of went on the skid um you know those numbers were pretty good the the <laughs> world series year so i mean if they can get something i'm not saying get him back to that good of numbers but if they could find him somewhere in between the two yeah um that would be ideal, but yeah, they're they're paying this man a lot of money, so uh, he he better. Yeah. And uh, anything about the Nationals lineup stick out to you outside of like Juan Soto? Because like they have like a couple guys in in their lineup that are just like one, they're still in baseball, and two, they're like cast offs that uh, from other teams that didn't work out, and that would be Michael Franco and Alcides Escobar. Uh, yeah, I was just about to mention Alcides Escobar. Um, <laughs> he came up no. to bat in the eighth spot, and like he still plays. <laughs> yeah, it, they have one of the most forgettable lineups in the major leagues, I would say. Um, no, absolutely nobody stands out uh, beyond the players that you mentioned. Um, Soto's great. I mean, he, he's going to have a huge year, and uh, I think that he's a player that is definitely going to be in the MVP discussion and probably will win one or two before his, you know, time is all said and done. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So, yeah, I mean, I love Soto. I'm really, really high on him. But, they, man, they need some help because they aren't getting much from, you know, they, they're in a similar situation to the Guardians in the bottom half of that lineup. Mm-hmm. They are. And, you know, you look at what this team's future is probably for this season. It's going to be they're going to get they're going to play. They're not going to do well. They're going to be in the bottom of the standings. And they're at some point they're going to trade Nelson Cruz to a contender. Yep. Get some mid-level, low-level prospect for him. Or, you know, take on a bad contract of somebody who's, you know, mm-hmm. or, you know, they could probably do the same with Josh Bell if they want, but it's, and Cesar Hernandez for that matter. Uh, right. But, you know, it's just, there's a lot of forgettable guys in this lineup. But, you know, it, they're just looking for Juan Soto to continue to be Juan Soto and uh, Caber Ruiz to develop and perform. Yeah, I, I think that that's, for this season, I think that they, they just want to see a little bit of growth from some of those guys that you just mentioned. And it's going to be a year for them. <laughs> it's going to be a long year for them. I'll put it that way. Um, I don't see them winning very many baseball games. Uh, but yeah, they're going to learn a lot about some of those guys that, that are on, you know, they're on the fence about. So um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they manage to do, how far Soto uh, and Cruz can take them. You know, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I could see because they'll only go as far they'll only go as far as they take them those two guys. Yeah, and maybe if Josh Bell does a little bit of something, you know, you know he had that one like half a season in 2019 where he was really good for the Pirates. Then after the All Star break, he he, he fell off a cliff. Um, but you I know, forgot about that first half of the season for the Pirates. Yeah, he he did have a really good first half. But you know he is but yeah, since quite then, been the same since then, it's, right and they've got him in the four spot. So, you know, bad cleanup. Uh, yeah, not good. Not good situation offensively uh, in Washington. No, not at all. Now, uh, let's get back to the Guardians real quick. Um, all it took was four plate appearances for Stephen Kwan for them to be like, okay, we're going to trade Bradley Zimmer. <laughs> <laughs> yes, give us the deets on the Bradley Zimmer trade. Um, let us know a little bit about our new uh, relief pitcher. So they sent him to the Toronto Blue Jays in exchange for pitcher Anthony Castro. And Anthony Castro, I believe... Righty, lefty. He is a right-handed batter. Or not right-handed batter, right-handed pitcher. That's what I thought. Uh, He's 26 years old. He has only appeared in 26 games. Uh, He has a 5.26 ERA in those games, 1.286 whip. Uh... Doesn't sound great, not, but what's intriguing... Not great, but not terrible. Here's what's intriguing. Last year in 25 games, he had 11.7K per nine. Ooh. He did... Give me those numbers. He did walk nearly three guys per nine innings. Not great. Okay, so... And he allowed a home yeah, run. Command, command issues sounds like the, the story on this guy. Yeah, but, you know, you, you look at how many uh, pitchers they've brought into Cleveland and all of a sudden... They're good again, or you know they yeah. are good. The intriguing part for me, honestly, is that you know you look at Brad Bradley Zimmer, and you know they were out of options on him, so they're gonna have to DFA him or you know trade him. Now I believe uh, I'm so glad that we traded him and that we got something for him. Yes, that 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 matters, and then you you look at Anthony Castro. He is he's 27 years old. And I'm trying to find his his contract. So just give me one second. <clears throat> no problem. I'm looking for... 
wonder if they've updated this yet. Nope. They, they already I've did. got, uh, just while you do that, um, I'm seeing, just from a lot of the sites I've seen, for a win total for the Guardians this season, I've seen between 76 and 79 wins. Um, and no more on any any website that I've seen do previews. So, interesting perspective. Um, nobody nobody expecting this team to go 500. I'm, I mean, yeah, I'm not necessarily either. But, okay, so I found it. So, he's under okay. team control this year and next year. Then he has three arbitration years after that. That is why I think this was an excellent trade for the Guardians, honestly. They don't got to worry about... Mm. Uh, Bradley Zimmer and him not having any options and him not performing. While Castro right. hasn't like the most exciting guy in the world, they at least have him under control. So maybe they can work some stuff out. Maybe they can develop him. Maybe they can tinker with some delivery or you know his arm slot. And you know, and we do that a lot. We do mm-hmm. that a lot. That happens with a lot of guys that we bring into our pitching staff. So yeah, that's not an unreasonable thing to to hope for. I think it's possible. I mean, I mean, shit. They 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 took uh, former Blue Jay and Detroit Tiger Anthony Goes and turned him into a pitcher. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. So, if they could turn a guy who played outfield moderately okay and make him a, a pitcher that can throw 100 miles an hour, I, I think that's they can insane. they can they can make Anthony Castro work in some capacity. I mean, because at some point, you know, I love Brian Shaw, but at some point, Brian Shaw is not going to be here anymore. Um, uh, yeah, that, and I mean, we need depth there. Like, we need arms. Back. Yeah. So, to get another arm is always good, regardless of the numbers at that point. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But, yeah, if, if they can get him um, to, to produce, you know, better numbers than that, but, you know, something reasonable, uh, his contract's really friendly for the team. So, I, mm-hmm. I think that... It's a it's a very good value player potentially for the future. Yeah, I, I think it's a I think it's it was important that they got it done, and I'm I'm glad that they did get it done. Um, yeah, me too. Uh, look, uh, the Zimmer thing was just it, it. We gave him so much time. You know, I I, I I'm not feeling bad for Bradley Zimmer. I, I think that uh, he got opportunity after opportunity here. So I mean, by all means, I'm sure he's a good dude. But um, I was done on the Bradley Zimmer experiment. So uh, personally, I'm glad that we've moved on. You know, same. I mean, and I think one of the more important aspects is it clears out some of the clutter in the outfield of, like, what are they going to do? Like, they already have a late-inning yeah. defensive replacement guy in Oscar Mercado. Um, yep. The, I think, like, the only thing Zimmer may have had over Mercado is speed. I think that's probably why Toronto uh, got him or, you know, wanted yeah. him is that he can he can be that late-inning defensive replacement pinch runner guy. And, and that's fine. Yeah. Like, and that's, that's yeah, that's a fine spot for him. Very fine role for him. You know, he doesn't. He's not going to have to start in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And they can just. I mean, because they got George Springer, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. I think is also an outfielder for them, and uh, Tiasker Hernandez. Yeah, I believe Gurriel's in the outfield. So you know, fantasy baseball screws my brain sometimes when it's, when it's got multiple. Uh, uh, position oh, eligibility. You're telling me. <laughs> you're telling me. Yeah, the position eligibility thing makes things really, really interesting. Yeah, Guriel. Guriel in left field. They also got uh, Ryan Mel Tapia, uh, Tiasker Hernandez, George Springer, and uh, Kevin Biggio can also play in the outfield, too. So, like. Makes you wonder where he's going to fit in. I, I mean, I'm looking at their outfielders. Just another left handed outfielder yeah. bat, speed, defensive. Like, yeah. Yeah, he could he could fit that role well. I think you know a late late inning replacement, like you said, somebody who can run well. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that that could be a good role for him. But yeah, they they you know they've got plenty of players out in the outfield. They're not as void at the position as we are. Yeah, unlike Cleveland, Toronto doesn't need Bradley Summer to perform. They just need him right. to be there. You know yep. what I mean? To be on the bench. Yeah, and that was the problem. That was the problem with Bradley Zimmer. We needed more from him. Like, but he he'll be a fine player for somebody that doesn't. You know. <laughs> yeah, and and those yeah. guys have spots, and this is a spot for him. Like, he, he just right. it wasn't going to work with him being starting outfielder Bradley Zimmer. That just it, that wasn't the parts. Yeah, I, I, I'm not saying you know he's trash, shouldn't be in the major leagues, anything like that. But it just wasn't working out here in Cleveland for him. Uh, and I think that that role, like if he grows into that role, I think he'll be a fine player doing that. He, he fits that role very well. So his skill set caters to that. So hopefully he does have some success uh, filling that role with Toronto. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, speaking of guys that are coming to Cleveland, we do have one that's staying in Cleveland. That's Jose Ramirez. Okay. Hey, he did sign five-year, $124 million contract extension, full no-trade clause. Thank God. He is guaranteed $150 million, including the this year and the pickup of the 2023 option. So, he one, he got paid, and two, he's staying in Cleveland, which is what he, best, uh, that's what he wanted. Best third baseman in baseball, right? He is the best third baseman in baseball. I, I don't think it's Thank particularly you. close. Thank you. I'm so glad that we didn't have to have a debate there. That makes things a lot easier moving forward. <laughs> he, he is. I mean, come on. He, he's, yeah. he's, he's an MVP candidate every single year. Okay. Yep. Uh, he's the only third baseman MVP candidate I've seen. Uh, so consistent, too. Like, that's one of the hardest things to do at a high level in baseball is to do it year in and year out and not have off years. Like, the dude does not have down years. Like, he's just, he's, you know what you're going to get from him every day from Jose Ramirez. And he's a good defensive third baseman, too. He's not, you know, a liability in the field at all. Like, mm-hmm. he's not just a hitter. He's, he's a guy that does a lot of things well. And a lot of people on the outside, I don't think they know how good he is on the base pass for us, too. He, he steals a lot of bases for, for us. And he stretches a lot of singles into doubles. He did that yesterday. Uh, he, he did that yesterday. You're absolutely correct. He's always looking to take second on a single. Yep. The the Jose Ramirez helmet counter is off and running. Uh, if you go uh, to <laughs> Zach Meisel's uh, Twitter feed, uh, he That's does that every great. single every single time his helmet flies off. He has a thread that he got that he has going, and I usually retweet it. Shout out! <laughs> but, Shout out to him. That's very cool. Uh, I, I mean, it's it's fun with that, but yeah. you know, yeah. it, keeping Jose in the lineup is it, it's it's important. He's he's their best player. He's their best hitter. You yeah, needed it's just such a relief. You, you needed someone who's an established professional in that lineup to at least make the team interesting and not be like, "Well, fuck, we're the Pirates." Yeah, exactly. Um, he, he's our uh, Soto. <laughs> yeah, know, pretty much for, for for the Nationals. Like he he single handedly is is keeping this team relevant with just you know he demands that much attention. Um, so yeah, I. I I love Jose Ramirez. I think this was huge. Um, you know, have the Dolan spent a ton of money elsewhere? No. But doing this was something that I honestly wasn't all that confident that they were going to do. So, um, yeah, this is big news for the Guardians to start the year. Um, so, if anything there is to be excited about with this team going forward, it's that you know who your your third hitter in the lineup, most important spot in the lineup is going to be, mm-hmm. Jose Ramirez. 
Um, you know, you got him at the hot corner. You don't have to worry about defense over there at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I think this is huge. Um, and, and I'm I'm relieved and I'll say a little bit surprised that they paid him. I, I'm surprised, too, because this is twice as much as their previous largest contract they ever handed out dollars-wise, and that was the three-year $60 million deal for uh, Edwin Encarnacion in 2017. Right. Wow. You said double that? Yeah, a $124 million contract compared to 60? Oh my god. Wow. Yeah, I, I knew that there was a big gap between the two, but I didn't know it was that big. <laughs> I mean, they, they haven't they haven't spent. Uh, you know, there was the yeah. there was the comment I remember uh when we were talking about Lindor that came out like uh we don't the only time we'll be handing out hundred million dollar contracts is when teams are handing out billion dollar contracts to you know to players. <laughs> you know, it was something along those yeah. lines. You know what I mean? But that yeah, makes sense. A, a lot of relief uh, in the fan base because Jose is under contract. I see a lot of people being like, "Yes, I can. I can finally buy a jersey and not have to worry about it." Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's when you've got a guy like that on a small market team, you're always kind of holding your breath and waiting for the shoe to drop and him to end up being swapped for a couple of prospects. Like, I was always waiting for that to happen, and then now to not have that hanging over our heads, like. I mean, it, it's going to help the team for productive, you know, productivity as well. You know, like for them not to have to be concerned about whether he's going to be a part of the team going forward is, is huge. So he's going to be a captain and a leader in that rock, uh, locker room for a long time to come. And that's really exciting for uh, Guardians fans. It, it is. And then you you have a, a spot in the lineup and a spot in the field. You don't have to worry about trying to, to, to fill. And it allows yep. you to evaluate some of the other guys. All right, we got third base locked down. Now let's look at our, our middle infield guys. You know, uh, you know Jimenez and Rosario, and down in the minors, guys like um, uh, Gabriel Arias. You know, look at those yeah. guys, and, and then that's that's the next area I think that needs to be uh, evaluated. I mean, still still got to evaluate the outfield, but you know, we, we talked about that earlier with you know Quan and Naylor and Straw, yeah. but like. Now it's time to focus on, you know, shortstop, second base, first base. And for the love of God, catcher. (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, I mean, Austin Hedges, is he's a phenomenal defensive player. But, like, good Lord. We can't even expect him to hit over the Mendoza line. And that's pretty ridiculous. That's pathetic uh, is what it is. As a catcher, huge catcher guy, like I'm okay with catchers not being big producers. Like if you're a great defensive catcher, like that, the value on that can't be overstated, especially for a pitching staff. Um, but you have to do something, and he just does not do anything for us. Um, and, and he went over four, and it was no surprise. So left three runners on base. Um, yeah, it's it's a position that offensively they need a lot of help at. Yeah, uh, they got to do something. But uh, I am—I was scrolling the timeline before we got uh, ready to do this uh, podcast, and while the Guardians extended Jose Ramirez, the Yankees are not offering a contract extension to Aaron Judge because uh, they—they uh, they apparently did offer him a seven-year, two hundred thirteen million dollar extension, which I mean the second highest paid outfielder per uh, annual average salary behind Mike Trout, but he said no. and Which is interesting. I, I thought it was interesting he said no to that, personally. Maybe he wants to try and get a, a larger 
a larger deal, but the, the rest sure of the, the rest of the season, they're apparently not going to because they're not. Uh, Aaron Judge doesn't uh, want to sign the deal, yeah, they, and they don't look like that they, they're going to have an in-season negotiation. Uh, they agreed that the deadline was opening day, correct? Both sides were kind of like, if, it, if this ain't done by opening day, we're not doing it, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's what it... Yeah, so that's that's where we're at with Judge, and so we probably won't hear much about this uh, until later in the year. I mean, there's going to be a lot of talking about it because he didn't take the deal. I mean, there's going to be a lot of discussion and, you know, breaking down uh, what he does. But, you know, from my perspective, if I'm Aaron Judge, I'd sign that deal and, and don't think twice. I know. I, that's why I said, like, I'm surprised that he looked away from that. I, I think that's a great deal. I think him being in New York makes sense. Why would he not want to be? Um, you know, your value there in terms of your brand is as strong as anywhere, you know, maybe LA, but you know, why, why would he not, you know, want to be there for a long time and be one of the highest paid players in the entire league at his position? Um, but yeah, you're right. I, I'm sure that he wants more. He thinks he can get more and, you know, by all means, if he thinks that then go for it. But I mean, he had a, he had a good year last year. It wasn't, as impressive, I guess, as his, you know, 2017 breakout. But what I'm looking at when it comes to Judge is that he turns 30 in just a few weeks. Okay. Yeah. And he is someone who has not been healthy a whole lot. <laughs> That's he, fair. He, he missed 50 games in 2018. He missed 60 in 2019. And he missed 32 of the 60 in 2020. He played 148 last year, so he only missed a you know small handful, 14 games. But like, this dude gets hurt a lot. Yeah, and I mean, when you when you think about that too, and him not signing that contract, it's like he knows that too. He knows he's got a history of injuries. Like, it, it's kind of kind of mind-boggling to me that he wouldn't want the security of having that thing be done. You know, and. Now it's like, you know, anything can happen. If he, he gets hurt again and misses a bunch of time this year, like it, what's that contract going to look like him for the future? You know, is somebody going to be willing to invest that kind of money in him? But uh, he's betting on himself. I'll say that he's betting on himself. He is. And, you know, if he has like a down year or he gets hurt, he can end up in the same type of situation Carlos Correa did where he signed that three-year deal, which is really a one-year deal with an opt-out after every year. Exactly. You know exactly. I mean? It'll be same exact situation all over again. It, yep. it, if if he doesn't end up, you know, uh, performing up to his level and what we know he can do, because when he's when he's on, that dude is so impactful on a game. He, he's really good. Absolutely. You know, I, he's really, really, really freaking good. Um, he should be in the MVP discussion every year. He's that good of a player. Like he needs to perform that to that level. And it's it's he's very capable of doing that. You know. Yeah. You know, he was uh, he finished fourth last year in the MVP voting. Yep. So it, you know even like even like you said it's not as didn't jump off the page at at you like you know maybe his debut season but still <laughs> fourth in MVP voting like come on. Yeah, he's he's still a very good very good outfielder and he can hit the shit out of the ball. Like when he connects, yeah, and, it's a bomb. And, yeah, and and for for how long he's been in the league, thirty is not that old. No, it's not that old. He he made his debut at 24, didn't have his breakout year till 25 when he was still, you know, rookie classification because that's the way baseball works 
<laughs> when it comes to, to <laughs> contracts and stats. Uh, yeah, it's so confusing sometimes. But. It, it could be just like, wait, how is he a regular? And you got to try explaining <laughs> it to someone that doesn't you know, pay attention to baseball. It's like speaking yeah, another it's language. Hard for, it's hard enough for me to understand. So, yeah, when I try to explain it to other people, it's just it's a lost cause. Yeah, pretty much. But uh, <clears throat> all right. Uh, there's a the Guardians have three more games in Kansas City. They got one of those uh, not so common anymore wraparound series starting Thursday, ending Monday. Thanks to the off day on Friday. Yeah, <clears throat> we got Zach Plesac going on Saturday, Cal Quantrill Sunday, Aaron Savale Monday. So three of their better options as pitchers. They'll be facing. Uh, be facing. Let's see, Mitch Keller. They'll also be facing. Chris uh, I'd like Bubic or uh, Bubic or uh, I, I can't I don't know how to pronounce his name. Uh, Carlos Hernandez is their is their third pitcher. I like those matchups. I like all three of those matchups. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean they're they're all winnable. Or I'm uh, Brad Keller, not Mitch Keller. Brad Keller, <laughs> not Mitch Keller. My bad, Brad Keller. Uh, they're all winnable matchups. They're all yeah. I mean they probably faced their the Royals' best starter and ancient Zach Greinke. Yeah, but I agree with you there. I, I we we've already faced their best, you know, their best starters. So, um, yeah, I think these are three very winnable games. Um, I think getting out of Kansas City, at least splitting the series, would be a really great way to start the season for us. To be completely honest, I, mm-hmm. I, I would be very happy with, you know, getting out of there with two wins. Yeah, and you know, you look at these pitching matchups. I I think the that the Guardians have the clear advantage in all three. Honestly. Yeah. I you agree. You have the edge in all three of those matchups pitching-wise, for sure. And, uh, you know, you look at the, the probable pitchers for, for the rest of these games, you, you notice that Tristan McKenzie's name doesn't appear on there because they've had him working as a uh, piggyback uh, starter in uh, spring yeah, training. That's, and, that, and that's what he did that, yesterday. Yeah, he was in that second starting role, that long relief role that, you know, just kind of based – basically it only happened because of the way the schedule was set up to start mm-hmm. the year. Yeah, and, you know, they only used three pitchers yesterday. You know, it was it was Bieber, it was Brian Shaw for one out, and yep. Tristan McKenzie the rest of the way. Um, so yeah, we've got fresh arms in the bullpen. Um, how many pitchers did Kansas City go through yesterday? They went through. They went through quite a few, I believe. Uh, it was quite a few, yeah. yeah so no. yeah, that you know, we have an edge there as well. You know, we're gonna have fresher arms in the bullpen. So if these are close games, you know, that'll definitely have uh, a big impact on that. So. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to see us win two out of the next three. Yeah, Kansas City used four. They used Granke, uh, Brents, Stalmont, and Barlow. Okay. Yeah, so, I mean, they have Barlow worked two innings. I thought that was kind of surprising. But, you know, you look at these, uh, let's see, last year uh, Keller had a 5.39 ERA, a 1.6 whip. Uh, Bubich was 4.3 ERA, 1.38 whip. 3.68 ERA, 1.28 whip for Carlos Hernandez. So, all guys that are hittable, all guys that very hittable, a lot, uh, you know, have a lot of walks and hits, you know, that they offer <laughs> per inning. So it's yeah, it, for a team that struggles at times in the walks and hits department, I, I think this could be uh, exactly what they need. Honestly, uh, I would agree with that statement. I, I think that 
this series was a, a very good series for us to start the year with. Um, if you're going to start the year on the road against a division opponent, um, you know, I'm glad it wasn't the White Sox. We'll put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, man, the, the White Sox are uh, currently up 3 nothing on the Tigers. But um, they're White, White Sox are a good team. They're a good team. Absolute wagon. I, I think they're very good. So, you know, that's that's what we got for the rest of this series. Let's talk about overall season outlook. What do you want uh, the Guardians to accomplish this year, realistically? Uh, realistically, um, I, I, like I said, if they can get near that 80-win mark, um, that would be awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't expect – I'd probably put them at like 75 to 77 wins, uh, realistically. Um, but I, what I really want to see is uh, uh, I want to see a guy like Stephen Kwan – uh, fit and grow into that role and uh, have an exciting, you know, rookie and Jose Ramirez to uh, perform up to the level that, you know, he's being paid to perform at. Um, and, and if we could keep guys healthy and, you know, get some more growth out of some of our uh, younger starting pitching, mm-hmm. um, that would be a good successful year for me. Um, if all, and then on top of that, you know, everybody's healthy. Tito stays healthy. Um, that'd be huge. So, but for me, this year is about growth. It's about uh, finding out a couple of these players who, you know, we're kind of on the fence about what, what they are, what they aren't. Um, but yeah, I mean, we need, we need to do more in terms of uh, the farm system. I know we're about like eight right now, our farm system's ranked, but uh-huh. um, like you said, we don't have a Bobby Witt Jr. though in yeah. our farm. So we, we don't have one of those. So um yeah, we're going to have to make some moves. I, I really hope that they spend money eventually. I don't necessarily think they're going to do that this year. But, um, yeah, I, I'd say 70, 75 to 77 wins. Uh, the guys stay healthy. Quan grows into a, a, a solid role for us. And hopefully we find a catcher that can hit in the future and uh, some more depth in the bullpen. Yeah, I'm pretty much uh, with you everywhere there. You know, have have Jose be in the MVP conversation. Have Shane Bieber uh, get back to pitching at that Cy Young level. Just be in the conversation for the Cy Young. Give me that. You know what I mean? Yes, uh, yes. And, and and like you said, learning learn about the players that you have and grow. Uh, make some moves at some point. You know, maybe, right. maybe they trade for an outfield. I know everyone's like, trade for Brian Reynolds. That's not going to happen. You know, that's not going to happen. I wish that would happen, but that that's just not in the cards for us, unfortunately. Yeah. And, you know, no matter how hard everyone tried to manifest a, a trade for Whit Merrifield over the past couple of years, he's going to retire with the Royals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, Definitely. maybe they uh, maybe they make some trades with some of those those teams that are going to be obviously in the basement, you know, this year. Maybe, like maybe they do make a trade with the Pirates, but not for Brian Reynolds. You know, uh, maybe yeah. they do trade yeah. with the Reds, who are obviously tanking or the Diamondbacks. Maybe they, maybe they swing a big trade and get like Cattell Marte from the Diamondbacks. That'd be awesome. That would be awesome. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's some things. There's some interesting things that they could do to get better uh, this season. But um, yeah, I don't think a, a postseason expectation would be reasonable for them. I just don't see them securing any of those three wild card spots. Um, the American League's just too good. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think if. Uh, all the things that we we just mentioned happen. Um, overall, that would be a pretty successful first year in this transition to uh, a new brand, a new team, and uh, a new generation of players moving forward. Yeah, 
Yep, yep, yep. I, I, I think some of the, the more, one of the more important things I think needs to be accomplished is they need a definitive answer of who's going to be playing first base next year. They need a definitive answer of who's going to be at catcher and what their middle infield's going to look like. And, you know, with them not being a necessarily a competitive team, they'll have the opportunity to do that. Right. Yeah. And when they're going to be rotating guys a lot at the shortstop position, you know, like that's going to be something that's going to be difficult, you know, and it's, it's not like the, you know, the guardians old where we had <laughs> Vizquel and Roberto Alomar up the middle. Uh, we, we do not have that luxury anymore. Um, so yeah, there's a lot that they need to find out at those positions that you just mentioned. And, um, I'd say first base is probably the most dire in my opinion, and then catch it right behind it. Yeah. First base is just like watching it's Bobby. It's a position that needs to hit. You, you need somebody who can hit bombs and play first base. It, they got to produce. They got, they got to drive in runs. They got to hit home runs. I mean, even if they're not hitting bombs, hit, hit for average or something. Like, if you got to be uh, Keith Hernandez, something. be Keith Hernandez, okay? Yeah, yeah, I'd be fine with Keith Hernandez. Yeah, absolutely. It, you so. know, uh, bombs are preferred, sure, because, you know, th- that's what everyone w- loves to see is the home run. And, you know, we, we, traditionally... We all love to have a Pete, Pete Alonzo. We can't all have a Pete Alonzo. Uh, yeah, tra- so. tra- you know, traditionally, you know, first basemen are bigger guys, so it usually results in guys that can hit bombs. Unless, right, right. unless you end up trotting out first baseman Casey Kochman, uh, you know. Yeah. That, that's a yeah, name I haven't thought about so in a minute. That's, <laughs> that's, that's fair. You don't necessarily have to hit home runs, but you definitely have to drive in runs. So you, you oh, got to yeah. be a guy that generates offense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you can remember all the, the first baseman that, you know, played in Cleveland in between, yeah. you know, in between guys like Travis Hafner uh, when he did play the field. And, you know, Carlos yeah. Santana, you know, Brandon Moss, uh, Casey Koshman, like I just mentioned, and, oh, Matt yeah. Laporta. Uh, there not, you go. Uh, There's a forgotten name. <laughs> uh, he was a guy that had a lot of promise once about once upon a time. Yeah, and then there there's a couple other guys that they tried uh, in between the, the Santana years. Uh, Yonder Alonso. Uh, mm. Remember the, the half season of Hanley Ramirez that we had? That's right. We it did get our DH. for half a year. Uh, yeah, they, they've experimented with a lot of things there at first base and, and haven't had much stability or success uh, as of late. Uh, the, the one thing I'm actually the happiest about is they're not doing the, all right, we're going to give the, the washed-up veteran a try again. Because, you know, the, the, the years when they had uh, Carlos Gonzalez, Henry Ramirez, uh, Domingo Santana, and they were just brutal in the lineup for like the first month and a half of the season. It's like, okay, this is a complete waste of time. Like, yeah, it, I agree. And some of that actually resulted in why we have so many unknown quantities and some of the positions that we have now. I mean, that's why first base is all fucked up. That's why the outfield yep. is also fucked up. Because that's a really good point. You know, there are reasons that the situations are what they are. <laughs> I mean, like. Sure, like, it, having them as part-time players is one thing, but they were full-time players, and they could not be full-time players. Yeah. No, no, you can't have that as full-time players. But, you know, that's that's what they went with, and this is the result. But it, maybe, just maybe, they're coming out the other side, and things might be all right. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, the God, I, I mean, baseball's awesome. There's so many great players out there, like, 
the the Guardians aren't necessarily that far away from being a good team. You know, like as many weaknesses as we do have, like you know, a, a couple players can change things. You know, and uh, it, we're not in the basement like some of these other teams that you mentioned. You know, the the Pirates and the the Nationals and the Orioles, like these teams that just aren't going to score any runs and aren't going to win any games. Like, you know, there's a lot to be hopeful for going forward. We're we're not that far, not that far away. Yeah, they're they're not far. I mean, they didn't do a complete teardown like some of these other teams did, or and, you know, like what the Astros and Cubs did ten years ago. I mean, watching yeah, did either of those teams over that. Earth. I, watching, yeah, we didn't take that approach. The scorched earth, slash and burn, cut it all down, burn it all down, and start fresh. Like yeah. we didn't do that. So it, it at least we we can look forward to to winning some games this year. You know, they're gonna win some games. They're gonna win some series. <laughs> Yeah, um, we're, we're not trotting out. Uh, we're not trotting out Junior Lake and Brett Wallace. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, it's it has been much much worse. It could be much much worse. Um, you know, it, the problem is always it is what it always has been. It's that we don't particularly have owners that want to spend money or can that have you know the, the resources to spend like a team like the Yankees or the Dodgers or you know the Cubs even recently. Yeah, like can. Can they spend more than they than they do? Absolutely, but they don't, and it's under it's understandable why they don't. It's frustrating why they don't yes. as well. And the one thing I'm going to say is that the the most common misinterpreted aspect of this, when you see uh, uh, fan complaints about their their ownership and you know their lack of spending, is that they mention net worth, and that that's the wrong way to go about this. Net worth and cash flow are not the same. Okay. No, they're not. And that's the thing about a lot of these, you know, millionaires, billionaires, what have you, like, not everybody has liquid, you know, assets that mm-hmm. they can, they can move. And, and so yeah, there's always more to the story. And I mean, like, I got to be honest, the, the financial and business side of baseball is my very least favorite part of it, but it is a huge part of Major League Baseball. Um, so yeah, I do lean on you a lot to help explain the, the contract <laughs> situations and the financial situations. But like, it, it it is what it is, you know, mm-hmm. that, that is, so yeah, I mean, they don't necessarily have, are, even if they wanted to, are they ever going to spend like Steinbrenner? No, they, they just can't, you know, but they definitely could spend more and that's what's frustrating. And mm-hmm. as a fan, that's what we want to see more of. So signing Jose Ramirez to the extension was huge, a uh, step in the right direction. But uh, as a fan base, I think people deservedly so want to see more you know it wasn't long ago that we were you know making an appearance in the world series so um the people want a winning team in cleveland yeah and it, it's they're, they're not far away it's it, it, they just got to make a, a couple more additions figure some stuff out make some make some trades maybe sign a guy or two but you know they're i think they're closer to rather than further from and i think that's at the end of the day what's most important yeah so if i if i have to put a number on a prediction uh, I'm saying 77 wins. Uh, what about you? I'm gonna go 74. Cause I, okay, so we're not far. We're, we're not far off. I my my one issue is just still like we we hammered it home earlier at the beginning of the podcast is the the bottom half of the lineup. Like they got yeah. a hit, and I don't. Yep. I'm not sure if they can hit outside of Stephen Kwan. You know. Uh yeah. I got to be honest. You know Stephen Kwan's performance. <laughs> He, he added a couple wins to that total yesterday watching him play um, because I was not confident about anybody in that bottom half of the order. But um, 
he showed some really bright spots yesterday. Uh, so, yeah, he gave me a little more hope. I think that he can, you know, get a couple more wins out of this roster. Yeah, and, you know, Andre Semenez, um, he's capable of playing better than he has here in Cleveland. His, his, his rookie year with the Mets, he hit two sixty three. He had, you know, three doubles, two triples, three home runs. Granted, that was the 2020 COVID season. But right. <clears throat> since coming to Cleveland, he's, he's hit. Meh. Meh is a good way to describe him since getting here. He's hit 40 points lower across the board, pretty much. Uh, yeah. 44 points lower batting average, uh, 41 in on-base percentage, uh, 49 in slug, and about, you know, 100 lower on OPS. And you, that's because you add the two together. But, you know, he's capable of hitting better than what he has. I mean, he, yes, he did... Uh, I- he did all right in the minors last year. He hit 287, 342, 502. But, you know, 218, which he did with Cleveland last year, that's just unacceptable. But there's something there. one for there. four yesterday. If he can go one for four every day, that would be sweet. <laughs> That'd be fine. If he, even yeah, if he just, four would be great. Even if his ceiling was what he did in the 2020 season with the Mets hitting 263, Okay. That'd still be good. I'd be okay with that. That those aren't bad numbers. No, that's not bad because that's that's a lot better than some of the the guys they trotted out last year. Okay. Uh, Cesar Hernandez last year was uh he was terrible. Ter- he was terrible, and that was uh, he hit he hit for unpredictable power for for him. He had eighteen home runs, but yeah, you know he hit, he hit two thirty one. Last year, right. even Jose hit two sixty six last year. But Eddie Rosario, that disaster signing, which he hit two fifty four. Josh Naylor was two fifty three. Then you look at some of the other guys. They uh, Harold Ramirez, who I don't understand why they let him go and kept Bradley Zimmer instead. But Bradley Zimmer hit two twenty seven. Yeah. Yu Chang two twenty eight. Mercado two twenty four. Owen Miller two oh four. Ernie Clement, 231. Uh, I can keep going. Uh, Jordan Luplo, 173. Jake Bowers, 190. Remember Jake Bowers? Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so nobody close to that 250 mark. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Uh, Daniel Johnson, 221. Uh, Rene Rivera, 37-year-old catcher, 236. Wilson Ramos, who is uh, younger than I thought he was, but he's like th- 34 now, but uh, 226. Yeah. Ryan LaVarnway, 250 in nine games. Oh, Some very forgettable names there. Oh, 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 for that one, Ben Gamble. He hit 071. <laughs> there we go. 071. Yeah. That a boy, Ben. Yeah. That would be the. He got traded to Pittsburgh. Then he, he played better with the Pirates than he did in Cleveland. He hit 255 with uh, 17 yeah. doubles and eight home runs. But opening day center fielder Ben Gamble for last year's Cleveland squad did not uh, get it uh, done. No, we, we're in a much better situation in center field with our opening day starter with Miles Straw. That's for damn sure. Yeah, so after that nice little rundown of uh, the ineptitude of the a lot of the Cleveland bats last year, uh, I hope everyone enjoyed all the names that you forgot about. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many of them. Oh, man. Uh, ben Gamble's probably top of that list, honestly. Yeah, he's up. He's up there. Uh, that's for sure. You know, just you know, yeah. just not having some of these guys that they are not doing the let's give them a try thing, or like playing this guy over and over again. Like why? Like I know a lot of people like Daniel Johnson. I just I can't do it with Daniel Johnson. He's not good enough. Uh, yeah, nope, not good enough for me either. It, I'm it, out on him too. It, like sure, is he? He's more interesting than Ben Gamble, but like cool. 
You know what I mean? Yeah, that, <laughs> it's not saying much. The, I would agree with you there. He's more interesting than Bradley Zimmer. But again, cool. <laughs> like, that's not, that's not doing a whole lot. Maybe he's more interesting right. than Oscar Mercado. I don't know, but Daniel Johnson just was not good from what we've seen. Granted, it hasn't been a ton, but, like, he's a triple-A player, in my opinion. Yeah, and and you're right. And I, I know that you just said, like, granted, it hasn't been a ton. But it's been more than a guy like Quan, and we saw, and we've already seen splashes from him in one game. You know, like you don't need that much time to to know if a guy is going to be a guy or not. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's you need more than one game, uh, but you can also learn a lot very quickly about guys. And those guys that you mentioned, all those forgettable people, are forgettable for a reason. And it's you know because they just aren't producing. Mm-hmm. And you, you, I'm looking at uh, Daniel Johnson's. Uh, stats right here and I guess we'll kind of uh, end it after this uh, little Daniel Johnson thing here but 35 games he struck out 32 times in 89 at-bats oh my goodness yeah it, yeah I, I that's to me it's just not not anywhere near good enough you know so that that's that's where I'm at I'm just like like okay like it's he's a good mu- he's a guy you bring up in the minors if someone gets hurt or has to be yeah. away from the team for something, plays a couple games and goes back down. That, that's all he is, in my opinion. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having bench guys like that, you know, that you can use in certain circumstances or, you know, spell a guy late in the game with a pinch hit or a pinch run. Um, there's value there, you know, like <laughs> the, you need those type of players. But you, certain guys, though, with what, what the expectations are, like they, you need more from them. And he's one of those guys that, you needed more from, and you didn't see it. Yeah, I mean, you, there's certain times that you can tell a guy's not going to cut it, and I, again, 35 games, 94 plate appearances isn't a lot, but you can tell he's it's enough. He's, you to can, get a sense of you know it, when the guy's 26 years old and still going back and forth from the minors and basically a quad A player, then it's like, okay, what are we doing here? And he wasn't even that good in the minors last year, anyways. He hit 222, so it's not like right. he was down there hitting 370. He, he was it, yeah he wasn't knocking on the door he wasn't banging his way into the major leagues that's uh, for sure uh, maybe in 2019 you know before he came for uh 2020 season you can make a case because he did hit 290 he did have 34 doubles and 19 home runs but he hasn't done anything since yeah he was also younger then too you know yeah, and, he was... and as he's getting older though you know it's like you need to see more you need to see more and it's just not happening so but you know what we're we're not gonna have to worry about him you know, trying to cram into the roster. You know, Bradley Zimmer is gone. Stephen Kwan's here. I, I think there's going to be a lot of good things to take away from this upcoming season for the Guardians. Uh, I agree completely. And uh, and with that, we'd like to thank you for listening. Uh, we will be back after the Royal Series is over to discuss the Royals, uh, how that all sorts out, and their upcoming series down in Cincinnati, which, uh, good for them, they get to take part in another opening day celebration uh, or home <laughs> opener celebration. Uh, possibly one of the better ones, if not the best in all of baseball down with the Reds. But uh, reminder, make sure po- you like and subscribe because uh, you know, at this point we're not quite certain how often we're going to do this thing. Yeah. Uh, at least once every series, um, yeah. you know, we'll be here to wrap up a series and preview the next one, but uh, make sure you subscribe and turn on your notifications so that uh, if we do have any news on that front, we can update you. Yep, and this podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, SoundCloud, and thisisbelieveone.com. Remember, 
Tell your friends and family. If you don't, it's stealing. It's stealing.